This is the Agile Uprising Podcast. Hello and welcome. Uh, we are here for the, the next installation of the Agile Uprising Agile Manifesto Author Review. Uh, we're very lucky today to be joined by uh, Jim Highsmith. So, uh, Jim, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, and thanks. Um, this is Ryan Lockard. I'll be uh, hosting with my uh, good friend, James Gifford. And um, it would be uh, rude of us not to mention Chris Merman and his involvement in setting this up uh, with Mr. Highsmith. So, uh, Chris, thank you very much for, uh, for connecting us. Jim, um, we have spoken to a good number of uh, your your Agile Manifesto author cohorts. We've, uh, I think, we're you're either number eleven or twelve, uh, so we're well over the, the middle. And um, typically, what we like to do is start off with the question of what were you doing prior to two thousand one. Um, I know that you have a, a pretty well documented history, and I think um, while we generally don't like going back to the beginning of your professional career, I think there is some. <laughs> some merit in just uh, at least tipping a hat towards the first project that you worked on fresh out of uh, fresh out of school? Well, the first project I worked on out of school was the Apollo project. Uh, and I was an electrical engineer at the time and worked on ships that they were sending out into the ocean to track the spacecraft as it came back from the moon. Because at that point, they didn't have the worldwide communication capability that we have today. And so... These ships were full of radars and uh, uh, computers. Uh, back then, we used militarized computers that they were using on nuclear submarines at the time. And uh, so it was uh, it was sort of the, the beginning. One of the guys that worked on that particular program or uh, acquisition was one of the guys who then went on to write the Sabre system for American Airlines. Hmm. Yeah, just I, I love reading your bio and seeing that the first project that you worked on fresh out of school was uh, literally sending things into space and recovering them. That's a it's yeah. a hell of a way to step into it. Yeah, when, when people use the phrase "it's not rocket science," I can reply to that. Yeah, yeah. You and, and when we spoke with John Kern, it was uh, he was actually working on uh, on um, aerospace. So he his rocket scientist uh, his rocket science analogies are pretty strong as well. Yeah. So. Um, Fast-forwarding a little bit beyond that first project, uh, you really made a name for yourself um, uh, in, in, the, in the world of project management, specifically adaptive project management. Uh, can you speak a little bit to um, how that came about and uh, what opened your eyes to that more adaptive way of looking at project delivery? All during the 1980s, um, I, I did consulting and training in sort of what structured methodologies of the time. And towards the end of the 1980s, I got to thinking about, I'm teaching people all this stuff, but it's not really the way I work. And so it kind of was a dissonance there. And so in the early 1990s, I had been thinking about this some, and I got a call from uh, a guy who wanted me to do some work on uh, short cycle uh, methodologies because he was uh, selling the automated tool for software development and they wanted to they wanted to uh, decrease the time cycles the guy's name was Sam Bayer uh, 
And so what we did is we, did, we developed a methodology that, that we used with companies where we went in for a month and did a project and one week iterations. Hmm. That kind of got me started on small iterations, uh, uh, cross-functional teams, a lot of the things that we talk about in Agile today. And that resulted in an, uh, an article that Sam and I wrote in the early 1990s, 1993 or 94, something like that, uh, on basically rapid development. And so I sort of worked on this all during the 1990s. And at the first, I was calling it radical software development. That was kind of my name for it. And when I was writing my first book on adaptive software development, I kept thinking there was a chapter in there, and I knew there was a chapter, but I didn't know what it was. And it was just like, I know there's something there. And finally, I found out about complexity theory and complex adaptive systems. And I started looking into that as a way of really how do you become more adaptable? And that's where adaptive software development came from. And during that period of time, I was working more in the project management arena. I really didn't have much contact with the OO community where XP was sort of getting going. Mm -hmm. I knew about DSDM. I knew about Scrum. I didn't know about XP. And somewhere in late 1999, uh, I I ran across Kent Beck. uh, And I called him up and we exchanged um, our our drafts of our book. And and we sort of realized we were going on a similar path. His, His more programming-oriented, mind more management-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kind of struck up a relationship with those folks in the in the XP community. And about a year before the meeting in Salt Lake City, there was a meeting of XP people in Oregon that Kent Beck put together. It was Kent Beck and Bob, Bob uh, and several other people who kind of put that together. And Alistair Coburn and myself were two kind of non-XP people who were invited to this particular meeting, and that lasted a couple of days. And then that sort of was the seed that germinated the meeting later, about a year later, that that resulted in the manifesto. Nice. Um, So I believe you were doing some, prior to 2001, you you are doing some work with Alistair as well, correct? I was doing a little bit of work with Alistair uh, after several years of living in Salt Lake City, we finally realized we lived in the same city. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so we did a little bit of work with Alistair, yes. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, that's it. Okay. I thought I'd cut you off there. Um, so Alistair and uh, Kent were your, your first real introductions to that to that larger group. And then that Oregon meeting was probably the, the real catalyst that, that sprung. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's how I kind of sort of, sort of got involved in the group. And then my book was published in late 1999. So my book and Ken's book came out, you know, at about the same time frame and uh, sort of started things moving forward. Right. And for those uh, unaware that the book that you're referring to is the adaptive software development book, um, probably right. one of probably one of the, the first in that space, which was um, pretty groundbreaking at the time. Um, in that book, I think, um, uh, is is that the one where you use the uh, the mountain climbing as the analogy? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Do you mind just um, taking a second and, and and giving the elevator pitch of that analogy that you use? I think it's just a beautiful metaphor for how teams can work together. Right. Well, one of the things that I've tried to do as I've written several different books, I've always tried to bring something 
different in in terms of writing to hold people's interest. So in the project management book, the first go around, I used I used interviews between two different people. Uh, in the adaptive software development book, I used rock climbing and mountaineering because I, I was doing a lot of that at the time, uh, and and really saw you know you go into the mountains with a plan of attack on a mountain, but you have to adapt to the conditions continuously. Uh, and so that was one of the analogies I used. You go into the mountains with a team. There's a lot of trust. And if you're going to trust somebody with your life, you know, you, you, uh, you, you have this bond that you don't have on, on typical teams. Uh, and so that's an important piece of it, too. Uh, the other thing that I think is really important is that in mountaineering, you have to understand the mountain that you're, go- that you're trying to climb and your capabilities. And don't mismatch it. That mm. um, there are mountains that I would never even attempt because I just don't have the skill set. Uh, and I think the same way on projects. That in fact there are different kinds of projects. And one of the things that I came up with a little later uh, was what I call an exploration factor of projects, which kind of was like mountaineering in terms of assessing the difficulty of the mountain you have to climb or assessing the difficulty of the project that you have to do, primarily around the idea of uncertainty. And the more uncertainty it is, the more you don't really understand the technology, it's new technology, the requirements are changing, all of that uncertainty and change, the more of that there is, the higher the exploration factor, and the more you have to be agile or adaptable to tackle that project. And so I use that as an analogy too. And then I also use the analogy of skill sets. You know, when you go into the mountains, you have climbing skills, you know, you have camping skills, you have uh, weather reading skills, you have, you know, mountain route finding skills. So a lot of different skills that you need on the team to climb a big mountain. Yeah. I appreciate you giving me um, the, the context there because I want to remind anyone listening that these these thoughts that Jim is talking about were written 17 years ago or 18 years ago now, and, and they were probably written 19 or 20 years ago and published. But you hear these same thoughts today. People are still taking this basic concept, uh, these concepts that you 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 codified in your book back then, and rolling them out as brand new thought in industry today. So I think there, it's, <laughs> it's worth calling that out. I heard an executive. <laughs> I, I think the metaphor that I'm hearing now more is the um, uh, the one to the to the military, specifically the special ops. And instead of giving them a bulleted list of what they need to do to accomplish a mission, they're giving uh, general intent. They're, they're they're told what the intent of the mission is, and, and it's up to them to sort out the rest. And it's got a direct lineage to everything you just mentioned about your mountain right. climbing metaphor. So, <laughs> quite awesome. It, I mean, it's interesting because I have uh, at this point over 50 years in the business. And, you know, ideas do get recycled. And, you know, so you see things that were written uh, the last few years, for example, and they, uh, you know, a lot of the concepts they think might be new, but they really, you know, are, have, have grown out of stuff that, that came up years ago. And, and even, in fact, some of my stuff comes out of reading things that happened in the 1980s, that things were people who were on kind of a leading edge of looking at things a little bit differently back then. So we kind of... Um, you know, stand on the shoulders of those that came before us is kind of a metaphor. I'm glad you said that because I was about to call you out and say, hey, did you take that mountaineering analogy from somebody else? <laughs> so let's um, let's fast track a little bit lo- a little bit further, about two years now. This is after the, uh, the Oregon XP uh, gathering. 
Um, as as the uh, 2001, I think it was called the lightweight um, process or the lightweight methodologies uh, conference was being organized. Do you remember who you first heard from um, as far as that the the organization that was going into it, uh, who reached out to you, how you heard about it, and uh, how, essentially how you got invited? Uh, well, I think it had a direct, uh, you know, it came out directly out of the out of the Oregon meeting, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of on the email list at that point for people that had participated in that meeting, mm-hmm. and then um, you know there was a more general sort of people were looking at who else should we think about inviting, uh, and so. I think that's where mine came from. Was it was out of that other meeting with with Kent Beck and and some other BXP folks. Yeah, yeah. I assume that was going to be the case, but it was worth asking just for the sake of consistency with the others. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but when we interviewed John Kern, who uh, surprisingly was our first interview, he shared with us an artifact that he had stored in his attic, um, and it was, I believe, Alistair's. Um, pre-written notes for the, uh, the, the, the meeting that you guys had in Snowbird. And um, John had had hand markup all throughout it. Um, do, you, do you remember uh, get, uh, seeing that? It was basically a two or three page typewritten um, multi-column Word document that uh, Alistair had made available? Yeah, at this point, I don't remember it. Of course, as you said, that was you know, 16, 17 years ago now. And so uh, some of the details are a little bit fuzzy. I know Alistair and I got together and talked about it several times because there were a couple of different ideas about where to go. Uh, and we finally uh, decided on Snowbird. So Alistair and I put together um, some of the logistics for that meeting. Cool. And I'll make sure I get you a copy of it just for nostalgia's sake so you could, you could put your eyes on it again. I, we, we, did yeah. also, we met with Alistair um, uh, probably three months ago now, maybe even more. And uh, he did not necessarily recall it straight away, but as soon as he saw it, you should, it, it was a beautiful thing oh. just to see his eyes <laughs> almost pop out of his head. And uh, thankfully, that was an in-person interview, so I got to experience it firsthand. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the interviews that I listened to. So I, yeah, he uh, he's he's a great guy. He's very accommodating. Um, so as you're, uh, you were local to Salt Lake uh, in 2001, so you, I don't have to ask if you flew in with anybody. Um, <laughs> yours was probably more of a drive. Uh, the, the way that the story has been told um, is that it was a three-day conference, um, but the first night you all had an informal meetup, I believe in the resort lounge, uh, just to shake hands with some of the folks that you had not met prior um, and just to kind of get that... Um, group forming stage rolling. Um, does that sound familiar? Is that something that you were a part of? Yeah, I think it was. And, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of get together. I don't remember exactly the details of, you know, the, some of the different meetings. It's kind of all runs together at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, I do remember I, I had ideas at that point for writing my second book, which was Agile Software Development Ecosystems. And it was kind of a survey of all of the Agile methods. And so I, I used that time actually to interview a couple of the people for, for that book. Uh, as, as well as the, the meeting, uh, but yeah, we we got together, had some social time, and then you know some good meeting time. So you actually, I think you mentioned this earlier that going into that meeting, you already had familiarity and some degree of knowledge of DSDM. I did. Okay. Yeah, I think in speaking with most of uh, most of your peers, that was the one outlier that they did not have a, a breadth of knowledge of uh, going into the meeting. Uh, meeting. So I was, uh, I was kind of surprised to hear that, but. 
now hearing that you were prepping and probably doing some research for that um, software development ecosystems book that that might have been um, one of the reasons? Yeah, I actually was familiar with DSDM probably for three or four years before the meeting because I had just been doing some, some research for the book that I was writing, the first book that I was writing. So I was aware of some of that stuff that was going on, like strong, like DSDM. Uh, and, I, and I may have been even the person who uh, suggested we invite somebody from DSDM, although I don't, I'm not sure that's the case, but I do know that I, I knew more about it than most of the other people. That, yeah. And for anybody that's not familiar, DSDM was, uh, it was, it was more, it had more of a foothold in Europe. And um, Ari Van Benicom at that time was a member of the DSDM consortium. And he was invited. He's one of the uh, the co-authors who we've had the privilege of meeting with and interviewing already. So, um, yeah, he flew the longest way, probably. Yeah, he's got the most interesting story too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you heard this, but uh, he he mentioned in the interview, and, and it sounds tragic, but he uh, he said it lightheartedly that while he was over, his house burnt down and his wife left him. So, <laughs> but he said it worked out for the best. Well, I knew he had to leave early. Yeah, that that could have been on. Yeah. Um, okay, so. I know that uh, a lot of uh, quite a bit of time has passed. Um, so hopefully, I, some of the the tidbits of the story that I've been fed in the ver- in the previous interviews can help jog some memories for you. Um, if you could try to mentally go back to the first day, the first morning of the conference, uh, you guys walked into that that conference room, um, and uh, everyone kind of got together, and there was some attempt at a pre described. Uh, agenda that quickly evaporated and um you have 17 alpha males all in there talking about their (laughs) all all who who are facilitators at heart right so yes yes either either uh inwardly or outwardly facilitating things um do you remember um do you remember an exercise where almost uh well very quickly the uh the the idea of jotting agenda items or thoughts on cards came about and uh, those cards got tossed into, um, into it, onto the table or into the center of the room? Uh, a little bit, you know, uh, I'm not surprised that cards showed up because how there were a lot of XP people there. XP people there. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't remember exactly how we came up with the agenda. I do know that the discussion of a name came up fairly early mm. uh, because Alistair in particular, you know, had some thoughts about not being a lightweight, right? So the, the title of lightweight methodology had kind of been used by a number of people, uh, but Alistair didn't like being called a lightweight methodologist. I don't think Alistair, and, I don't think Alistair took too kindly to be calling a lightweight anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, that was one of the early things that we did was, was look at names. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was a, a process that went, went by fairly good. I think one of the early things we did, also was to go around the room and everybody kind of talked a little bit about their particular approach, methodology, whatever it was. And hmm. so that took some time just kind of getting oriented to some of the methods or some of the people that we didn't know. Uh, you know, so that went, that was one of the early things we did. So to unpack that for a second, then obviously you had a pretty good exposure to um, the XP practices, the XP guys, uh, Alistair, what he was doing, um, and some of the different methodologies and frameworks based on the research you were doing for your upcoming book. Is there anything that was mentioned that you remember from that roundtable of introductions and just general interest uh, overview that you were not uh, prepared to hear? Maybe not that you objected with, but just something that was like, oh, I never knew that or that this is new information to me. 
I don't recall that specifically, but I'm but I'm sure as people went through things that I, you know, that I picked up some nuances that I hadn't known about before. Uh, I was pretty familiar with XP at that point. I was pretty familiar with what Alistair did. Uh, you know, some of the scrum stuff I knew about, but that was a little bit new. So I picked up some things there. Right. Uh, okay. So I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we all picked up you know, some of, of the other stuff. And I guess the, uh, the thing that's, you know, obviously started coming out was the, the similarities. Right. Right. And, and particularly similarities in terms of principles. And that's actually a, something that I think has withstood the test of time. I mean, there are very few movements, if you will, that have lasted for over 15 years. Um, and I think the re, one of the reasons that the Agile movement has lasted that long is that it's not grounded in practices or processes, but grounded in, in values and principles. And I think that was new because I had been involved with different kinds of methodologies for the prior 15 years or so. And none of them were really grounded in the kinds of principles that Agile was grounded in. Yeah, I think it's uh, worth calling out. I mean... Um, I believe it was Mary Poppendick that 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 took an expressed moment in one of her early earlier books to talk about the difference between practices and principles. And by definition, principles are not meant to change. They're they're meant to be the, the foundational bedrock that we build the practices on top of. And um, I think there is something. I mean, I was I was asked yesterday just about um, somebody was asking me about the Agile Manifesto because of the work we've been doing with you guys. And um, the question is. Is there any of the are there any of the principles or the values that they would have changed from two thousand one? And as soon as that question gets asked, the almost immediate knee jerk reaction is go read those four principles, those value statements, and tell me which one you would change. Right? <laughs> I know there I know there has been some thought about that over the years of you know kind of redoing or version two of the Agile Manifesto, and some different people have had different. Um, concerns about, you know, one of the values or one of the principles or, or those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I, if somebody wanted to do that, that would be fine. Uh, but I don't think any of the original authors are interested in doing that. You know, we sort of did our thing uh, and it's, it's kind of stood the test of time and uh, if you redid it, yeah, you might change some things here or there, but I think it's been very resilient over, you know, quite a period of time now. Yeah, and I think anything anyone does in in the future would be an addendum to, not in replacement of, right? Right. Um, so you mentioned uh, the conversation around uh, labeling the efforts. So that everyone agreed lightweight was not a was. Well, I assume everyone agreed lightweight was not something that they wanted to brand themselves as. Um, your name came up in in probably more than half the interviews that we had based on your fondness for the term adaptive. Uh, so I imagine that was a, that, that was your horse in the race. Is that right. a, yeah. yeah. Um, and, 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 and in fact, you know, I think we started out with, I don't know, 15, 20 different names, something like that that we came up with and it was kind of whittled down. Um, and, and, you know, one of the reasons we didn't go with adaptive was the fact that it fire had, you know, kind of claim on that name and we didn't want to sort of bias it towards anybody's particular methodology. Right. And I think the, um, what Alistair, uh, I think it was Alistair relayed as the, uh, the process for coming up with the name was reductive reasoning. Uh, you put, a, as you said, you put a bunch of names on a flip chart uh, or a whiteboard. And as things were 
um, rolled off. They just got scratched off the list. And then you got whittled down to a very small set of options. And it wasn't like somebody was a strong advocate for Agile. It was just um, one of the last last ones standing that nobody had a strong objection to. Does, does that sound... Mm. I, I think it probably they didn't have an objective to it, but I, I would say that uh, there were people who had a a little stronger feeling of that about that that Agile was a good name and a and the right right way to go. So I would so, say that there were some of the you know this is something I, I you know I couldn't deal with versus this is something that you know I could deal with. Um, but I think in the end there were a number of people who who really did like the term. So seventeen years removed, how do you feel about the term Agile? Um, I think it's pretty much stood the test of time and, you know, uh, so I, I would still uh, probably come up with the same word again. Yeah. I mean, they're really not that many words, you know, agile, adaptive, flexible, mm. uh, you know, there, there are uh, some words that, that kind of speak to that. Uh, but obviously my two favorites are agile and adaptive. Right. Uh, I, I imagine if you had to do it again, you probably would toss adaptive out there. And if that got scratched, then <laughs> on Agile. Um, so do you remember, uh, other than the term adaptive, do you remember championing something in, um, in Snowbird, a, a thought, a value, a principle, uh, or, or anything that you were, you were an advocate for, but for whatever reason, uh, found the editing room floor? You know, I, I think the process that we went through was so collaborative in nature. Hmm. I think we've long since lost who came up with which words or who liked which principle or, or, you know, who advocated for one and for not the other. I mean, I know we had a lot of back and forth about specific words and about how we framed it. Um, But, you know, it, it was, for me, it was one of the, well, I've never been in a meeting like that before or since, let me put it that way. If we could just pause on that then, what, what about that meeting made it so unique? Um, I think the fact that everybody contributed, I think the fact that we had, you know, we evolved a similar uh, set of values that we could all agree on and that, that seemed to work pretty well. Uh, there, there weren't any, as I remember it, uh, violent disagreements. You know, there were disagreements, mm. but they were all done in the, the in to further the process along. And I just felt like, you know, for a pe- group of people, many of whom didn't know each other, to get together, you know, at a single point in time and work together the way we did, um, I'm not sure what it was. I mean, I, I, there was just something in that room um, you know, we knew we were working on something that was going to have some legs. I don't think any of us ever imagined it was going to turn out the way it did. Uh, so in that moment, during that, that time, I mean, looking back now, it's powerful to say I've never worked at anything up to that point that meaningful or that special and since. But at that time, were you like aware of the impact and, and the specialness of that meeting uh, to the degree that you are now? I think mostly, yes. I mean, I think we uh, all left that meeting, um, you know, really understanding that, some, that something special had gone on. 
So I think there was part of that recognition, even while we were there, that this was uh, a unique happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and and like I said, very, very collaborative. And one of the things I know that came up during the meeting, because you could look at that group of people and say, oh, this is a bunch of competitors getting together. Hmm. And, you know, so you, you would think that there was some competition going on. And, and it probably was a, a little bit. But I think one of the things we came up with is, is that uh, we all wanted to create a bigger pie so that the pieces of the pie that we, we would get would still be more than if, if we didn't do that. Right. So we weren't so concerned about competing with each other. We were more concerned about competing with apathy, you know, and the outside world and what else was going on. Uh, And we were just, you know, kind of a small cog at that point. And so we were, you know, interested in competing against other ways of doing more traditional software development, not so much competing amongst ourselves. Right. One thing that I find interesting about the the structure of that event was – the um the way that there were intentional like high mental hygiene breaks built into the um into the schedule so you had the, a morning session an a.m break um a midday session with a p.m break and then a, an evening session right um and one thing it has nothing to do with agile when i ask these questions but it's just really good i think with the time <laughs> capsule element of this do you um do you happen to recall what you were what you did with those um those breaks. I know some folks were skiing. Some people were uh, hanging in the hot tub. There may have been one or two back at that lounge in the, in the resort. Uh, uh, I know I did some skiing. So that was one of the things that I did because I, I was quite a, quite a skier at that point. Uh, so I did some skiing. Uh, and I also used that time um, for at least a couple of the interviews that I did with people that uh, was from the next book. Yeah. Uh, so I used that time a little bit, but it, yeah, it was, you know, the meetings were intense, but we did take breaks. And I think, you know, even on the breaks, some of us would kind of hang out together uh, and, and get to know each other on a more informal basis. Uh, so that a lot of that occurred. Do you think those breaks um, added to the progress? I mean, I've been in ever since I started this project with, uh, with the agile uprising group, um, I've been falling more and more in love with that, uh, that schedule, that, that approach to intense, heavy mental lifting type uh, meetings where you build in those breaks. And uh, as you may assume, working in industry, especially large enterprise, you run up against resistance because it looks as a uh, wasted time. Right. To what degree do you think those breaks actually facilitated the, uh, the outcome? Well, I, th- I think they did facilitate the outcome. And the other thing that you have to realize about this group of people was that one of our core principles, values, whatever you want to say about it, was this idea of collaboration and cross-functional teams. Hmm. And so that was something that we really went into it with a, you know, a common understanding that that was really important to us, all of us. And so there were people in the group who really understood team dynamics and that kinds of stuff and were adamant about, you know, the kind of schedule that we had. And I don't think there was anybody who was in that group, at least who felt like it was wasted time. Great. That's awesome. So I think, uh, I think you may have already touched on this answer, but as the event was wrapping and um, you guys are about to distribute back to your, your regular professional lives, uh, you had a sense that this thing had some legs to it. Were you at all surprised at how quickly the, uh, the legs turned into a full-on sprint or even a brush fire? Uh, 
Yeah, I was. It was. Uh, uh, <laughs> it happened. It happened really quickly, and it, a lot more. Uh, you know, than than I kind of thought it would. I thought you know everybody in. Um, Yeah, we kind of felt the same way, you know. We we thought it was going to be important, um, but we weren't, you know, we weren't sure it was going to take the get the legs that it did so uh, so quickly. And I was just looking for something here. Hmm. Um, but uh, you know, they're fairly quickly. Martin Fowler and I started working on an article uh, that was published the next summer in Software Development Magazine. Okay, and and that was one of the first outcomes of the event that, that was really had to do with publishing. Uh, and, and that was, uh, like, like I say, one of the first things, and I think that article, uh, the fact that Martin in particular had quite a reputation in the industry, uh, the XP people started pushing that, pushing, you know, their stuff more. The, uh, the scrum group really got together and started doing this, the scrum training, scrum certification. So it, it took off a lot faster uh, than we anticipated. And, and obviously now it's a very widespread movement, but you know, there's still a lot of people doing more traditional waterfall development. It kind of surprises me every, every now and then. I, I'll, somebody will call me up and say, you know, we want to, you know, we want to do agile development. What do you recommend? And I say, well, I've actually been starting about 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you'd be you'd be shocked yesterday i was uh i was standing in front of a classroom just talking about lean and agile principles to a, a room full of people that it was opening their eyes for the first time they'd never they'd never actually experienced it before so yeah. it's um it's surprising but here's the good thing people are interested still right yeah and and it, i mean it, it's it's um it's obviously something that in some organizations it's taken hold in the whole organization or other organizations, you know, it's come a little bit at a time. Uh, you know, it just kind of depends on the organization and how big it is and how, you know, what their, what their goals are. I mean, the, the largest organization I've worked with was had 35, uh, 25,000 software engineers. Um, oh, wow. In China. Uh, <laughs> what, what, and, you know, what? I've worked with teams that were four or five people. So. What industry was that? The one in China? Uh, telecom. Okay. Yeah. It's amazing how many of you guys worked with telecoms. It's uh, <laughs> it's one of the other connective themes or tissue things that runs through all of you. Uh, not all of you, a good chunk of you. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the first, uh, this was in the early 2000s, one of the first companies or not one of the first, but one of the companies I worked with was in Canada and they were doing cell phone software. And at the time, uh, Cell phones were, you know, were just coming into their own and things were changing a lot. Standards were changing. The physical standards were changing. Uh, the software standards were changing. And, and so I worked with this group that was that was really in the throes of, of, of a very difficult uh, software development process uh, or software development uh, challenge. And there were a number of them who wanted to lock down the requirements, right? Mm. <laughs> and I said, no, you probably better not do that. So uh, it's, there have been some interesting um, projects along the way. There's that muscle memory, that, uh, that organizational muscle memory that uh, as, soon as, as soon as the rubber meets the road, they want to go right back to learned behaviors. But right. I, think, uh, I, I think that kind of speaks to what you were doing straight after 
the manifesto then. So when you went back into industry or when you went back into your professional life um, after 2001, obviously you continued publishing. I mean, you have a, right. a, a heck of a, a, a heck of a list of titles under your belt, but um, what were uh, you were working with uh, large companies and helping them become more adaptive, more agile. Is that, is that what you just started doing? Right. So I, I uh, actually, during those early years, I was traveling a lot, you know, uh, both in the U.S. and worldwide, and and basically doing consulting and training on helping people, you know, like I say, become more agile. Most of mine was more oriented towards project management uh, as opposed to some of the technical practices, but I would typically get somebody else involved with me to help with the technical practices. Um, you know, there there is something to that. You, you know, you you mentioned that you traveled worldwide. Is it safe to say that Antarctica is the only continent that you did not have, run a project <laughs> on at this point? Uh, hmm. I didn't see anything expressly about South America, so we might have to. Well, I have, I have, I haven't worked with a client. Well, I've done a little work in South America. I've done, okay. done a conference in Brazil, and I did a couple of client visits when I was down there. So I didn't actually do a project, but I've worked with some clients down there on a short-term basis. So All right, so, have, so blow my mind. Have you done anything in Antarctica? No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you, you were the first person I think I've ever spoke to then that did all seven continents. That'd be impressive. But you do. I mean, honestly, in, in it's it's available on the web. But your bio has U.S., Europe, China, Canada, South South Africa, Australia, Japan, India, New Zealand, and that's probably a, a you know a short list. Yeah, uh, and and obviously, you know, uh, I, I've traveled a lot. I probably don't travel, haven't traveled nearly as much as say Alistair. Of course, he he just loves to travel all the time. So I don't think he has an address. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, since he left Salt Lake, I don't, I'm not sure where his permanent address is anymore. He just kind of rockets around. So I'm traveling a lot less these days. Okay. Um, so then as, uh, as we look forward, right, um, since 2001, you've obviously had a, had a lot of travel. You've had a lot of publishing that's gone on. And the industry and the, the industry that you helped build, this agile industry, has turned into one hell of a business. Um, what is, is – for anyone that is just – now getting into the agile uh, mindset and uh, or those that are just coming out, the, the millennials that are just now entering the, uh, the workforce, what kind of um, guidance would you give or what, what hopes do you have for the future of agile? Well, I think my hopes for the future of agile have to do with continuing to innovate and do new things and push the boundaries. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it was more about delivery. And since then, you know, it's pushed more into project management and then kind of the Kanban uh, evolution came along. And, and some people look at Kanban as a alternative to Agile. I look at it as a, you know, as a part, part of the same movement. You know, it's a little bit different, but, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the principles and values of Kanban are the same. Mm-hmm. So we push off into that area. Uh, obviously, over the last five plus years, the, the DevOps revolution has come along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's been a really important piece. So what I, what I see is that, that Agile has either incorporated or spawned off some of these other things that we continue to innovate in, in ways to make things um, better to reduce cycle times and those kinds of things. Uh, now, you know, we're, we're more recently got it into, you know, 
bigger projects with Agile, although, you know, some people have been doing bigger projects for a long, long time. It's, it's not new at all. Right. Uh, getting more into portfolio management. And, and then also one of the things we're dealing with a lot these days is organizations in their entirety who want to become more agile, more adaptive, more flexible, whatever you want to say. Right. So from a business standpoint, as opposed to a IT or, you know, software delivery standpoint, want to become more agile. And so, you know, you're seeing moves into, you know, sort of business agility. And, and that's been going on for several years. There's not a, uh, you know, there's not a, a, a generally agreed upon term for the business aspect. I mean, there's management 3.0, there's adaptive leadership that I've talked about. Other people have talked about other kinds right. of flexible leadership kinds of things. But I, I see that idea of collaboration, of short iterations, um, kinds of things of looking at goals and, and, and uh, um, measuring value and working closely with customers. You know, those kinds of ideas have permeated a lot of different places at this point, even outside of software development. Yeah, I know um, just recently, Mike Beadle has uh, started rolling out his uh, enterprise scrum framework um, a little bit more publicly and, and, and running some courses in there. And I believe his, uh, his, his intent is to do just that, try, try to have a, m- a more honest and um, transparent conversation about business agility at the enterprise scale. So have you, uh, have you seen anything with what Mike's been doing? I have not seen that. No. Yeah. Um, my concern is with a lot of the scaling stuff that I've seen, uh, it, you get delivery teams that are doing, doing pretty good at being agile. And then as you scale up some of the processes and practices that are put into place, um, kind of harken back to pre agile days when, when they were very, um, heavy with process. And so I, I'm a little bit concerned about that trend. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned, it. I mean, a framework does not make you agile. It, it's, it's a complete organizational shift. It's, um, it's removing yourself from previous behaviors. And if you find frameworks that actually match up nice to your pre-existing behaviors, and it just says agile at the top, I don't necessarily know if that's even considered a transformation. It's just a new wallpaper that you have. Yeah. Um, so Jim, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. If anyone, if anyone is looking to get a hold of you or if anyone's interested in, uh, connecting, um, how would they go about finding you? Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, of course work now for, uh, ThoughtWorks. I've been working for ThoughtWorks, uh, for about the last six years now, which is re- remarkable long, long time frame in, in my life. Uh, but I've really enjoyed it. So, uh, we now have, uh, there's now two of us, Martin Fowler and myself, who are manifesto authors who work for ThoughtWorks. And ThoughtWorks has been doing Agile since uh, way before we called it Agile. So they're one of the leaders in the industry and in kind of moving into the Agile space. Very well-respected company. Um, and you still, uh, is jimhighsmith.com still a good uh, landing space for some folks? Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've got some blogs on there. I haven't been contributing as much to blogs on my own site as to some of the stuff on ThoughtWorks site in the last year, because few years, but uh, you can still get a lot of the basic stuff off my website. Well, that's great. And uh, Jim, we appreciate having you on, and um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get to talk again soon. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care.